Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are going to be finishing up um, a bit of a conversation on suffering, but going a bit further into a hero's journey here. And uh, I mentioned this last week, we're going to be finishing up some thoughts on Job as well. And so if you haven't listened to the last few episodes, you might want to go back and, and catch up on those because there's a lot of concepts and a lot of things that we'll be talking about here that we've been building on. So whether it comes to suffering or some things that you probably haven't known about the life of Job before. We covered a lot of that last time. Um, so again, you might want to catch up on those episodes before this one. But if you're uh, just one of those people that likes to dive into the deep end and then swim back to shore afterwards, feel free to keep listening on. I know we have a lot of new listeners coming in too. And so we want to welcome you guys and let you know we appreciate you listening in. And so we're going to get right into it. This has been a fun journey for us going through a lot of this topic line because we've talked about this for... I forgot how many years this this subject matter keeps coming up and interesting in just our culture, in our world, and even in our belief systems, how we have come up with ways to distinguish what God is doing, what's our responsibility, and I'm hoping that we get off of the big chessboard that God is just maneuvering us as pieces and pawns in a big game. And I think that belief system has, like, he's sovereignly just moving the chess pieces. And we mentioned that last week of, yes, he's sovereign, but his word is what's sovereign. And so as a sovereign ruler, once he puts his word out, he doesn't recall that. So there's things in place. There's laws of nature. There's physics. All of those things are part of his sovereignty. And when we look at it from that perspective... I think a couple of ideas I want to explore in this this podcast is to, first of all, now bring an overview to Job from a hero's journey and seeing that this is the oldest book in the Bible. It's one of the oldest written literatures in history. In fact, it is one of the oldest dramas that has ever been that has ever been written that was written more in a form of a story like you're watching a movie versus a first person articulating the events taking place. It's really an important book. And as we've kind of gone through this and after studying through it, it really is the picture of transformation, the hero's journey, the deep desire of a, of a person's heart being revealed, and what is the end result of that. And, I just, and it gives all the dynamics of a world at war, things that are against us, what's happening to us. And depending on where you're at in life, you can extract many different things. But if we can get the bigger overview of what the point of the story is, and we look at it, look at it as a hero's journey, it really will, you'll see this type and shadow all throughout the Bible. And it is a very powerful description. I would, I want to, I want to add real quick before we, before we move on to it, that, that whole perspective shift of we're, we're removing this idea that we are just pieces on a chessboard that God's moving around. And we're moving that idea from the story of Job as well, because you can't have that perspective and and come to a, a realization of what we've been talking about for a long time, these ideas of identity, strength, courage, and influence, which for, for those new listeners, those are the four pillars that all of this is built on. And we've talked about that in a lot of podcasts in the past, and you can check them out. But the more that we've looked at the story of Job, the more I've seen those characteristics in him, those four pillars, identity, strength, courage, and influence, which is a very different thing when you look at him as a hero on a journey with those pillars versus him being a pawn that's moved up here and then moved over here and he doesn't get to know what or why, and he's just going through pain and suffering because the chess player wants it so and deems it to be so. And that's a very different way of looking at the world, but it's a very different way of looking at the Bible as well. And you had mentioned um, a, a quote from Lord of the Rings that kind of ties into that as well, where you can look at everything as if and ask all these questions from the perspective of a pawn on a chessboard, but maybe there's something different to it. Yeah, so this comes from Lord of the Rings, and it's Frodo the Hobbit, and he's talking to Gandalf. And he says to Gandalf, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. 
And then Gandalf responds, So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. And I think this is a huge picture. And you might say, well, Brian, you just said it. we're not part of a, a pawn on a big chessboard. Sounds like we are. Actually, if you notice that there's a spiritual realm, there's forces, there's evil, there's good, there's God, there's Lucifer, there's us, there's this world, there's this sin, there's all of these things, and we are plopped down in a time and space in history to deal with that, and we have a purpose, and we have a destiny within that, and it has an effect on all those different realms based on our response, and it puts it back to the individual. And I think we see that in the book of Job versus trying to who, who's to blame, right? Because isn't that what we do when something goes, goes wrong? Who's to blame for this? Yep. And you could say, well, I'm to blame. Okay, that's, that's partially true. You could say, God's to blame. Well, you could probably make some theoretical argument that it is. It wouldn't be accurate, but you could say, well, he wouldn't, had he not made me with free will, or if he had not made me, I wouldn't be in this mess. Okay, so you can find blame there. You could find blame on your environment. You could find blame on where you were born. You could find blame on anything to justify your misery. In fact, we live in a world right now that is spending more time finding a reason and a justification to blame someone else for the suffering that we're experiencing. Now, are you saying, Brian, that all of it's my fault? No. In fact, a lot of it has nothing to do with even your actions. It's just the fact that you were born into this fallen world. But finding a way to curse another man or to curse God or to curse another group versus finding out who you are in the middle of it and letting what you've been designed to do to affect that and to rise up, I think that's the bigger picture here. And we could spend a lot of time on scriptures trying to pull that in, but let's just, let's just be quiet for a moment and be honest with yourself. In your heart, you know there's something more. In your heart, you know that you have, some have built a world of safety and security and we don't want that broken. Some have lived a life of victimization for so long that they're just lashing out at the world around them. But if we could take a different heart of, a, of an, our identity, of who we actually are, who we are born into when we believe in Jesus Christ, and what wants to come out, this is the hero's journey. And so the word test is very interesting because it's like we use that, well, God's just testing me or he's just doing this to bring out gold in me or whatever. That would be a mis misnomer because, again, I mentioned, I think a couple podcasts ago, if suffering brought out good in people, we would have the most glorious planet. It, it just it, It's not a true statement. Problems do not bring out what you are. What you are facing those things is what emerges, and part of you will be shaved off in that rock-tumbling experience, but it's not really you anyway. The real you is the thing that emerges in that. And so I think it's important that we go and focus more on the hero's journey now versus all the implications of what's happening to people. Well, and I think even, even looking at that word test, when I, when I look at the journey that a hero goes on, and you can say the testing they go through on that journey, I think that's a terrible word to use for that context, because the way we use the word test is we our memory goes back to being in school, being in a classroom, sitting at a desk, having a piece of paper and a pencil in your hand, and having a judgmental teacher at the front of the room who is going to determine your your quality and your worth based on what you do and write on that piece of paper. And so if you... Um, if you get the correct answers, which in that context is essentially regurgitate the information that you've been taught, then you pass the test. And so we've, we've made testing a, a thing of, can I repeat the correct information that was told to me in this box and in this, this perspective, instead of seeing a journey 
of a hero that goes out and confronts things because they are a hero. That's that's what we see in Frodo actually going out into the world. But we've kind of looked at a test where we've looked at ourselves as the kind of people that are supposed to just stay in, in Hobbiton, in the village, and just kind of clean our house, mow our lawn, and do our thing. And if that's what you are, if God has made you into this you know, almost more of a drone and almost more of a gardener, then that's the life you can expect. And that's the kind of testing you can expect to go through. But if you're a hero on a journey, it's vastly different. Well, and that word, that word test is actually the same word for adventure. And so, and the word adventure is very interesting. It means to an undertaking involving danger and unknown risks an exciting or remarkable experience. Okay, at the early stages of an adventure, it may not feel like a exciting and remarkable experiences, but you will be, it will have remarks and you will have a sense of excitement. Um, the other definition is to expose to danger or loss, to venture upon, to try. And it's basically meaning I have to step into a realm that I'm unfamiliar with, I'm out of control, I, can, I don't have all of those safety measures that I've created, but now I'm stepping into the unknown. That is the adventure. And when we look at the word test, you can look at um, historically different tribes of rites of passage, for, for especially for boys. Um, so like, for instance, the Native Americans would send uh, a young boy out into the wild with no food, uh, no water, uh, no supplies, and for three days he would have to go live out there. And in that, all all of that experience, they would come back, and they would have a name given to them. They want to know what did you learn in that experience? What what did you gather? And it was not a pleasant experience. It was a fearful experience. And they had to face things, and they they were hungry, and they were thirsty. But it was deliberate. Because they knew that boy could never step into manhood and become part of the tribe as a leader until he first went and faced himself. And that's really what it was. And we can find all these different examples. Now, am I saying that God is having you do that? What I'm saying is the, the Native Americans knew they lived in hostile lands. They knew they had other tribes wanting to attack them. They knew there's wild animals. And we can see this in Africa of African tribes, where uh, one of the one of the African tribes, you had to go kill a lion before you could become a man. So they would have to go and hunt down as a young boy and kill that lion in order to become a man. It wasn't the simple fact that we want to see how strong you could be. So I'm just going to randomly test you. They knew without this inner core conviction of facing these things, they could not survive in the world that they lived. So they were testing and bringing out in them the thing necessary to survive as a group and to survive as a people. Well, and I think it's important to point out that it's not that even in those situations, they didn't conjure up lions as if lions did not exist before. They did not conjure up storms and and hail and lightning strikes and ferocious animals as if they didn't exist before. They were in a world that was already like that. And so it's more of a, here's what you need to do to confront that world and not just confront it, but to be a man, to be a leader, to be someone strong enough to overcome that world and not just to live in it, but to thrive in it and to grow and to to tame it and essentially have authority over it. And so it's not it's not this weird thing where it's like, you know what? My kids uh they need something to do. So let me go and create a lion and then throw them at the lion and see what happens. It's that's such a twisted mindset. But at the same but I think that's how we see this a lot of times. It's like, well, you know what? Kick him out of the nest, throw him into some adversity. And just see what happens. You, you brought up something really good there that we have to understand. We were not born into a peaceful utopia. We were born into a world that's at war. And I don't mean necessarily a physical war, yet some have experienced that. 
In fact, many in the world are actually born into that type of conflict. But you're born into a conflict. And there comes a point where you start building and you start growing and you start establishing certain processes of who you are that you, you find a sense of peace in it. You find a sense of success or you find a sense of control of that. But something deeper is wanting to take you further, but it's wanting to take you further. And when I say something deeper, God is doing something in you, drawing you out into another adventure, drawing you out into something further than yourself. Now, don't define that by, okay, I guess I have to be some explorer and go to the moon or go do something, quote unquote, what we would define as heroic, because heroes don't know they're heroes until someone else writes a story about them and says that they're heroes. So it's not something that we're, you're not striving, I need to become a heroic. It's the fact of right. we need heroes, but there is a process to it. So there's first a recognizing of what you are. And then there is a recognizing that you have an enemy, you have a hostile world, you have forces that are against you. And that could be in the business world. It could be you're a school teacher and you finally start knowing I need to go a different direction and take a stand on something. And you do and, and the weight of everything comes against you. That's stepping into a heroic journey. It could be I need to step back from something. The, the mainstream wants me to go this way. This is the process. And I step back from it and go a different direction. That's a hero's journey. But there's, there's, there's places that God speak into our heart. But the place that actually produces the most sorrow is when we actually have to come to grip with an inner thing where you really are facing who you are to the world around you. And a lot of times we want to avoid that. And a lot of times we ignore it, and sometimes we don't even know that there's there's anything to face till you finally push yourself or you step out far enough away from what you know into the unknown, and all of a sudden who you are starts, things you didn't even know about you start emerging, and that's what is being faced. Well, and wouldn't, wouldn't you say that that is Job's journey as a hero too, even though we haven't really... We haven't really focused on that in church history when we look at Job. We haven't looked at his journey. We kind of show up in his story in the middle of it, and and we come away with it, I guess, with an incomplete perspective, because there's a lot in his story, as you and I were talking about, in the middle of the book, in the mid and later chapters, where you see that it's not as if he was just going along his business and then the enemy showed up and all these things happened. He had he had an identity before that all started. His journey had started long before. His perspective of God had started long before that. And he had walked that journey quite a bit already to this point. And then the adversary comes against it. And I think we overlooked that at times, but he had, there was a foundation there. There was a belief system. There was an identity. There was, there was strength in him already inactive, and that's what attracted the adversary in the first place. But it's not as if he just was this blank slate and God decided to toss him out there. You know, he actually had that entire journey path that you were just talking about, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and I think when we're quiet, think about the movies you like to watch. Think about the stories you like to read. Um, there's something that draws us into a story. I, I, in learning how to write and trying to become a good writer, I've, I've listened to writers talk about the process of writing a story and how it needs to captivate. And there needs to be a certain type of character and there needs to be, um, they call it a character arc. So you have all these different characters. There's this something that they need to go face, but here's the breakdown of the elements of the character's journey. So the hero's journey starts with an ordinary world, and then someone is drawn into an adventure or called into an adventure or is challenged into an adventure. It's called a test. Same word for test. And at first they refuse. I don't want to do that. It's kind of like Frodo in Lord of the Rings. I don't want to leave the Shire. We've lived here peacefully and happily for so long. It's not till the end of the movie that you find out that evil wants to destroy the Shire as well. They just don't know it. 
So it's it's lurking. It just hasn't approached them. That's that's a huge point. We'd have to spend more time on that another day. But we have this illusion that if you don't go into the journey, you're safe in the Shire. Things are fine. Just keep the peace. Don't disturb things. Don't ruffle the leaves and things will be fine. That's not the case. You will be destroyed if you don't engage with that journey. As peaceful as your world seems around you and as insignificant as you think you are to the rest of the world, it will be destroyed because there is an enemy. Just like the story we talked about at the beginning of the last podcast of the girl that's dealing with all the arthritis and everything suffering and what what her father tells her that you can make this a whole lot worse. And go back and listen to the quote. I don't have it up in front of me, but you can make it a whole lot worse if you start finding excuses to why you can't move forward versus looking at it as something keeping you from moving forward. And if you can't do something, you just can't do something. But don't find a reason why. I think that's just a really powerful statement. So even as they're going through this ordeal, so there's things they face, there's ordeals they go through, they have their, so many people are coming against them, but there's always like this mentor figure that tends to rise up to help draw them on into it. There's something that helps them navigate that, that, that idea. Then they finally face it. They win the reward. It's either getting the sword or beating the dragon or discovering something about themselves. Then they come back to home, but they're not the same person. Something's changed, transformed inside of them, and they actually bring life and they bring hope, but they're different. They're not what they were when they went in, but yet what they, what you find in them at the end is what was always in them at the beginning, but they just had never let that out. And so this is the picture of the hero's journey, and it has to do with facing something. It has to do with a death to an idea, a death to an old way, and then a resurrection, a transformation of something new. And that is the story. Think about every story that we like. That That's involved somewhere in that, that mix. So let's get into uh, kind of tying Job up and then moving on to some other stories regarding this. So we see, we see in Job chapter 29, he basically lays out everything that he did. He was a righteous man. He went to the city gates and he would sit there. And even the kings and the priests, the princes would come for his wisdom. He was a wise man. He pled the cause of the, the fatherless. He pled the cause of the poor. He pled the cause of the widow. He People would be silent when he spoke. Even if they didn't like what he said, it was like dew on their heart. This was the character. He was the the righteous man bringing hope. It says that when eyes, I was the eyes to the blind, I was the feet to the lame, I was the father to the poor. I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked. I plucked the victim from, from the wicked's teeth. I comforted those who mourned. And he was in awe. It says, I chose the way for them and sat as a chief. So I dwelt as a king in the army, but he was not the king. He was not the chief. He was not the prince, but yet because of who he was and the character of who he was, everyone came to him for his wisdom. That was Job before anything happened. Uh, putting that story into context. So here's what Job was, this righteous man, doing everything that scripture says a righteous person would do. God sees him as a righteous man, calls him a righteous man. Satan comes and wants to destroy him. And he said he only serves you and does these things because you give him things. So all this event takes place. And Job makes his comment for months. If you were to remember months ago, I was sitting in the gate. Now no one will even look at me, talk to me, see me. They look at me as a worm. They look at me as a scourge. There's no comfort. They condemn me. They do all of this. Ponder that. Months. Not years. Not a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Months. But what happened when he went to that gate? And what happened when he started living that out? His adventure began. He stepped into something that no one else was doing. 
He stepped into something that was available to everybody else, but no one was stepping into. And the moment the enemy of his soul could come in and undercut him and wipe him and to, to lie about him to God himself, that this man's only doing it because you've given him things. Then we see his journey, and he says later on, but he knows the way that I've taken. Job is talking to his friends, and he's talking about God. He knows the way I've taken. In other words, he knows the adventure and the journey I've chosen to take. When he has tested me, or when he has brought me through this adventure, I shall come forth as gold. Because nothing's really changed. See, gold doesn't... You can remove impurities by adding fire to gold, but gold doesn't change its substance. So Job was gold before, he was Job after, but now it's revealed. So all the extra stuff is burnt off, but who he was doesn't really change, but his way of looking at things, his way of seeing things. But what was the thing that Job wanted in all of his journey? To know God. His whole thing was, I want to see him. I want to stand before him. Not in a sense that I'm better than him and not in a sense of, of arrogance, in a sense of a true heart that's a deep in all of our hearts because we never know who we really are till we know our Father. He wants to know his Maker, not know about him, not know the processes about him. That's what he wants. And in this journey, he feels like the farther, the, the closer he got to knowing God, the farther away it just seems darker and darker and darker. And that's what is being tested. This is what the dragon is doing to Job during this whole process. So that would be the testing phase of the adventure. And that, like you said, is is really a critical part of the hero's journey. And to me, uh, it's it's worth reiterating, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but how this whole section of it starts. But again, Job's journey had started before this. His desire to know God and have that relationship with him started before all of this, before the events took place. So that was already part of his journey and part of his process, which when I look at that, and when I look at the things like that he starts saying, this is like a New Testament believer wanting a relationship with God, understanding that there is a Redeemer, that there is redemption, that he even mentions things that that point to eternal life. He he mentions all these things, so it's and he's desiring this relationship, and that's the status beforehand. And then an enemy comes in and is jealous of that and wants to defeat this hero. And whether that's bringing them down or warping their relationship with God, whatever it takes. Because as we mentioned last time, when he comes and says, it's the coolest thing to me in this entire story. When the adversary comes to God, God says, have you set your heart on Job? It's not, have you seen this guy over here? And God doesn't, God's not trying to raise up his champion. He knows that the enemy has his heart set on the hero, on destroying that relationship, on bringing that hero down and stopping their journey, stopping the heroics, stopping everything that's going on. Because as you had said, Job was approaching things that no one else was. It's a lonely journey at times too. That's why we see all his friends around him that think they know what's going on, but they have the wrong perspective. They're not engaging in the hero's journey like he is. They're of a different mindset. And because of that, they bring their opinions, they bring their influences, and they bring their way of doing things, which every hero faces. And I mean, you can call them friends, but they're not very friendly during this whole ordeal. But he's going through all of this as the journey. Well, and I think it's interesting. How many times have you received advice from people that have actually don't share the scars of your journey? Oh, right. I mean, I, I think it's fascinating. I, I, one of my favorite authors is John Eldridge. And he said, before I listen to someone, this may be, this is going to be kind of a misquote, but this is how I read it. Basically, before you speak to me, I want to see your scars. Scars are not wounds. Let me just define that. A wounded person is still bleeding. They're still in pain. They're still hurt. A scarred person is someone that has gone through something. It's healed properly, but there's a remnant of a memory that was there, but it's healed. And so Jesus, I think it's fascinating. The first thing the disciples want to see is his scars. Mm -hmm. And because the scars show 
you're the one who went through this. And you're the one who had victory over this. You're the one who completed this journey. And so none of his friends had scars. And it's, it's funny how we get so much counsel from people's theoretical wisdom about how to handle something, but they, and they have a lot of wounds. A lot of people with mm-hmm. wounds come and advise us. Wounds yeah. are, wounded people are not the place you want advice from. You want people that have been healed from their wounds. They went through similar stuff. They may have gone through worse stuff, but they've seen the victory on the other side and they share the scars of the victory, not of the wound. Like this is a principle in virtually, maybe not just virtually, every area of life. Why would you want to take financial advice from someone who is broke and has been broke their entire life? And yet they're the ones that are most likely to give you financial advice. We have everyone's a Monday morning quarterback, everyone's an armchair quarterback, everyone watching from their screen at home with the 10 different camera angles knows what kind of audible should have been called in the football game. Anyone, if you bring, um, if you have an idea to start a business and you tell your friends about it, they're going to give you a ton of advice on what you should do having never started a business themselves. So that's just kind of a human habit, it seems, where we, we love observing other people going through great things and then giving our commentary on how it should have been done better. It seems to be, we, it's almost like a condition we have where because, because we're not as involved in the process, we can give some better advice for some reason. But that just, it just, I don't know why that's such a big habit for everyone, it seems. And yet it's such a bad idea to follow that. It kind of ties into this Theodore Roosevelt quote, It says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That's who you want advice from. So what he's saying is don't listen to all the other advice. But in this journey, in in this this dialogue that Job is having, this is what a hero ponders. And again, you don't know you're a hero till someone else tells you you're a hero after you're dead. It, it's not like, mm-hmm. okay, I've arrived at hero status. We're not we're not looking for a status. I'm here to say, if you're born again and desire to know God, there's something heroic that's birthed into your heart. His spirit is in your heart. And it's taking you someplace to a, a, a position beyond where you're at. That's the joy. That, that's the eternal thought. And like you brought up with Job, he saw eternity. He talked about his Redeemer living. He talked about yep. being, being saved from the pit. He, he already knew that there was something beyond this natural realm, even though he was feeling all of the pain and the angst and the fears and everything and the darkness in this time period of his life brought about, brought upon, motivated by an enemy against him to destroy him. I would, I actually give him a lot of credit too for, for being able to hold to his integrity when it seems that literally every other voice around him at the time was telling him otherwise. You've got his wife telling him to curse God and die. You've got all his friends. I think we touched on this a little bit in the last episode, but he he mentioned something interesting about not relinquishing his integrity in the middle of these conversations with his friends. And, And they're not all necessarily saying, curse God and die. What his friends are doing is trying to point out, hey, you're wrong, man. You've done some bad things and you need to come clean about it. You need to repent about it. You need to say you were wrong. You need to say that you weren't doing things good. Even the conversations with his friends, they're not so much saying, 
you know what, just curse God and die. They're bringing different perspectives at him of, you've probably done something wrong. You need to own up to it. You need to admit that you haven't been good. You need to um, come clean about things that you've been lying about. You need to be more honest. And we would tend to look at that as, you know what, we need to be a bit more agreeable and listen to other perspectives because maybe they're right. Maybe maybe I have been doing things wrong. And, and there's a context to that, sure. There's a lot of times where mentors and people around us can point out things that maybe we're missing, absolutely. But on this hero's journey, when he knows that his integrity or that his righteousness is is confirmed and it is set, it would actually be sacrificing his integrity to agree otherwise or to say otherwise or to come to this point of, you know what? I have been a screw up and I'm a terrible person. I'm this little lowly worm. That would be a loss of integrity for him to say that because it wasn't the truth. Even though he's going through this pain, that doesn't mean his righteousness or his integrity had been compromised by that. And he holds to it. He holds to it when every other voice is telling him not to. And that is a difficult thing to suffer through in this journey. These are the historical truths. This was written by, um, there's a man who wrote, I, I don't have the title of the book. I'll try to get it up there. But he was just going through the the type and shadows of the hero's journey throughout all the mythical, all, all of the stories throughout history. Um, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the main stories for history. So here's the three main points. We must first leave home to find home. We must lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. We must surrender to win. And we must give up something important to gain something important. This is all of Jesus' life. He, he had said this like five or six times in his own, in, in the New Testament. And so when we look at that, it's like, okay, what do we have to give up? Does that mean we have to literally have to die? And Jesus said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we, we speak of the mysterious and hidden wisdom of God, which he destined for our glory before time, time began. So this is, so let's begin with, with the book of Job. There is a mysterious and hidden wisdom that man at that time did not know that was hidden for us and he destined for our glory before time even began. And he, it's like he hid this treasure from the enemy that when the enemy would try to do something, it would actually create a different process for our benefit. So it was almost like a, a secret weapon, you could say. I'm kind of diminishing all that, and I, I don't want to be super superficial in this process. But it said none of the rulers of this age understood it. For had they, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus would not have been crucified if they would have understood the mystery of resurrection. They would have not under, if they knew that what they were doing to someone to destroy him was actually going to make them greater, they would not have done it. So this, this resurrection, this hero's journey, it is typified, even nature reveals this process. It reveals the resurrection. It reveals this this newness of life. First Corinthians, so in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 36, it says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And Paul says, You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So you're probably saying, Oh, so I have to physically die and then I'm resurrected. Well, there's an element of that. And so this, this whole idea that even Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Well, now we know that in the sense that the seed does not actually die, in the sense that it crumbles, decays, and becomes nothing. In that context of what he's saying, which is a similar picture of this hero's journey, is that it becomes something different. It transforms. And so the best picture of that is this, this statement was said describing it. Um, so what of the seed? Can you dig up the plant and find its seed down at the bottom with little planty bits growing from the inside? No. 
it's essentially died to itself. So isn't that part of the hero's journey? You die to yourself, and it ceases to be a seed in order that the plant would live. It can no longer find its identity in the old self, a seed. And in this way, it has died. It has, it has ceased to exist as its original self. This is what goes on. So everything Job had built, everything Job had done, he had done it with the integrity of his heart, but it was still not in a manner that can affect the kingdom the way who he really was would come out. So in a sense, in all of that suffering, he held true to what he was, but he allowed that old seed of getting there to die off. The old seed of sacrifices, the old seed of doing everything right so that harm wouldn't come, the old seed of the kind of a law-based way of thinking, that had to die off so he could be re resurrected into something new. And you see him go through that transition. He becomes something different. Same Job, same integrity, same righteousness, but the shape of it, the look of it, the feel of it is different on the other side. And that is resurrection. That is that transformation point inside of us. Like a, like a, like a caterpillar doesn't work at becoming a butterfly. It literally transforms into something new. There's a chemical change that takes place inside that it begins affecting the outside. But it was always to be a butterfly. And some of you may say, oh, this metaphor sounds really nice and wonderful. So all my suffering is, is to make me become a butterfly. No, what you are that you're emerging is bringing you into a conflict that what you are cannot deal with what is in front of you. So there's something inside that begins to emerge. And as we let that emerge, that's what takes us into a new place where we step into a realm uh, or step into a position or step into a new way of thinking that begins altering what's going on. That you, you, you eventually die to one way of thinking and you take on a new way of thinking. You eventually die to what you valued and where your value comes from and you step into where a new place of value comes from. That's the hero's journey. The motives are still pure. You, you can't like wake up one day, I'm going to go be a hero. So I'm going to go face all these challenges. I'm going to go do all these things. That's still your old way of doing it. I'm just saying the moment you let your heart go beyond what your head has understood and what your head has, the comforts of your world, and you allow your heart to step into a new realm, it is a scary place. It is a place that you're, it's, it's unknown to you. But it's in that place of adventure or testing or being tried that who you are emerges as something different. Now we put our life in Jesus. So what does that mean? I no longer have to trust in myself. Just letting Jesus be your life is, a, a, is a, an amazing adventure. And there is so much that wants to come against that idea, that simple idea that I'm transformed into something new. That's what the war's over. That is the conflict. And Job was in the middle of that conflict. That's what came after him. And if we could see that picture, and it could be applied in any area of life, and it doesn't mean, great, now that I'm going to want more of God, my life is going to go to hell in a handbasket. No, that's why we see the other side of Job. Look what trans... If you're willing to step into that journey, but then some are saying, so Brian, you're saying I should willfully just step into conflict? I should... I should embrace problems coming my way. I should look for them. Like that's the thing that's going to make me. No, those things do not make you. But part of you will be left behind in those things if you allow it to come forth. And you know what? You don't even have to look for it because it's coming. Or it's already come. Or you've already coped with it. Or you've already kind of overcome it. And just because you overcome, does it mean problems don't still happen? No, but your perspective of those problems radically change. Who you are to those problems radically change. That's the whole pillars of identity, strength, courage, and influence. Changing who we are to the problems that we face in the world that we live in. That is the key thing. And I cannot tell you how much and how powerful that idea is. 
because then you can deal with it. You can handle it differently. You can bring wisdom to other people. You can bring a hand. You can help the blind. You can help them walk. You can help them go. It Everything is about that. I shouldn't say everything. But when you look at historically and you look at scripture and you look at the patterns of the journey, it can happen in a short amount of time. It does not have to be 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. God never wanted the children of Israel to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't want to believe they could be something different to the enemy. That's why they, they wandered. It was a short journey. It could have been two weeks, and if they would have just said, you know what, we trust what you say we are, we'll go deal with the enemy, go to war, they would have had the land, and guess what, you would have had no Ten Commandments, you would have had no, all of this would not have even been a part of their journey. But they could not see themselves differently. This is what is painful, and Job did. He held to his integrity, and his friends were trying to strip it away, and he rose to the occasion, and he became something different in the end. And isn't that one of the biggest deceptions? So what you touched on there, we we tend to shy away from the suffering of the hero's journey because of the suffering, because of how difficult it will be. And we don't realize that the alternative is not to just peacefully live where you're at. The alternative is the 40 years in the wilderness. So you can either step into who you are, let that naturally rise up into you, and walk the hero's journey, and yeah, you suffer what that is. Or you can suffer the the 40 years in the wilderness of, of toiling and working and depression and sadness and fear and cowardice and all of these things. You can suffer through that. So really, it's a matter of you're going to suffer, but you get to choose whether you suffer on the hero's journey or whether you suffer as a slave in the wilderness. Because there is not, you don't get to start with a utopia of, well, we're just on this oasis and everything's okay, and so I can either step out there or not, you know, if I'm, if it's comfortable. That's not the situation. The situation is you're in a world that's at war. The war isn't against flesh and blood, but it is against the principalities and the powers and all of these things around us. So, spoiler alert, you're already in war. The only question is, how are you going to approach it? And it's, again, this is not a a perspective of, all right, put your cape on and put your hero mask on and do something heroic. You know what? Finally post that article on social media. Finally do take that step and, and do this. It's not throw your cape on and become a hero. It's these things are part of the journey and you can let them naturally flow out of you and see these stories as we've been talking about for what they are to see these journeys and understand that's a process you will go through as well. And it's amazing and it's worth it. You hit several great points. And being grace ministers, a lot of times, the moment you bring up a hardship or something you have to face, we, we I could be challenged, well, well, Brian, I thought you were a grace guy. I thought God already took care of all this. I thought God already handled all this. He did. Our role is to step into what he's seeing and believing it from the perspective that he believes. That right there is going to go against every old way of thinking that you've ever had. That right there is by definition suffering. There is a cost to believing the way he believes. There is a cost to standing true in, I am righteous because of what Jesus said. And then things go on and listen to how your friends say, but I'm righteous. Uh-huh. You're self-righteous. You need to be humbled. God is humbling you. Think about all of this. This is what Job is in the middle of going through. Remove the loss of all the things. Because Job actually didn't care about all those things. He cared about his family, but he didn't care about all the things. Job's friends spent their time condemning who he was. That is suffering. So the idea that God's grace, it's not by our works, it's not by our effort. He just loves us and he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his grace. He makes us holy inside. He's the one who defines us. He's the one who do, does those things. But then when you're walking out in life and you're facing things and, you're, and God's speaking to you, Hey, just remember who you are. You're my child. 
Just remember who you are. You're my child. And everything around is saying, no, it's not true. And, you, and, and there's something wrong with you and someone's to blame and we need to do all these things. And then you have to stand alone. And he keeps speaking that to you. That is suffering in choosing to believe one way of thought or another. So it doesn't have to even be physical things happening to you. I absolutely believe in healing. I believe in God's provision. I've watched it happen so many times. You can never take that away from me. But the fact that I'm in something or something's coming after me, it may not come after me in those areas. It'll come after me in another area, another area where I've done my works to protect so I don't have to deal with that. And then all of a sudden my works don't suffice and now you're back to suffering. And again, suffering is tied to the word passion. The moment something stirs in you beyond where you're at, that by definition is suffering. Even in Proverbs it says, Wisdom, or excuse me, it's Ecclesiastes, wisdom makes the heart grievous. The more you know, the more you understand, the more grief, because you're going to see the violence of man, you're going to see the wickedness of man, you're going to see the wickedness in the world, your eyes are going to be open more, and it's going to bring more grief. So the opposite of suffering in the Greek is apathy. Don't feel anything. Remember we talked about that. Just don't feel anything. Now I don't have any suffering. Yep. So again, let's don't look at suffering as the key factor. Let's just look at it as repentance and transition or transitioning or changing our way of thought or choosing to believe the one you fear versus believing your fears. It, it is just a change. That, that is the suffering and then allowing that to work its way in you and walking that thing out. And your end, consider the perseverance of Job, as James says, at his end. Not his beginning, not his middle, but his end. That's the hero's journey. I would add one more thing, too. The The voices you're going to hear are, are also going to sound like this at times, and I think this one is pretty applicable for us today, is, well, if you really were, then this would have happened. And Job sees this with his friends as well. Like, well, Job, if you really were righteous then this wouldn't have happened to you, or this would be happening to you. And it's real easy to get caught in trying to defend a position when those things come up. Trying to defend ourselves, trying to defend our spirituality, our identity, and all those things, but you don't need to defend yourself on that because you're not the one that, that made you who you are in the first place. And, and at the end of the day, it's easy to become bitter at those people too and start seeing them as your enemies, especially when you're in those arguments. But at the end of it, I think we've touched on this before, but um, God is pretty upset at Job's friends at the end of this whole story. But he doesn't say, I'm going to kill them. And Job, you pick up a sword and go slaughter them. There's actually mercy for them in the end too. And I think that's something to keep in mind is in the journey, it's very easy to get sidetracked in missing for one, who the enemy is and where to direct that passion. And we, we don't want to direct it at people because people aren't the, even the, even the people that are misguided, that are saying the wrong things, that are throwing the wrong stones and all those things, those people are not the problem. They're not the enemy. And if you can, if you can hold off on attacking them, then at the end, you can actually be part of the redemption process to bring them some, some peace and some grace. Absolutely. Just like Job, he became the advocate for his friends. And I think that's just a really, we, we talked about that in the last podcast of how powerful that was. But I think in this journey, I, I just want to, maybe we just close out. I, this might be a little bit of reading, but I, I want you to hear Paul's heart. I want, I want, I want you to hear him as a father speaking to you as a mentor in this journey and wherever you're at in the journey. And again, there's some people who just live free because they've understood a lot of these truths. They've transitioned, their scars are healed up and they're beautiful. And, and they've, they've, they don't look at themselves as heroes, but they are heroes. And they, they handle things differently. They're not moved by the rejection of man. They're not moved by the problem. When they see the problem, they just face it, address it. 
and, and they keep moving forward like the Apostle Paul. I've experienced all these things. Yet the one thing he pursued is to know him, to know him, to know him. Like that's, that's what he wanted. It's what Job wanted. And he finally got to meet him. And when he met him face to face, it changed who he was. That This is really what our heart's desire is for the child to come back to the father, that we could see the face of our father so we can know who we are and know how he thinks of us and know what he believes in us. That is what the enemy is after. He does not want you to see and experience who you really are. That's why through multiple of his friends, uh, a spirit comes to Job's friends, one of his friends, and then he starts saying, if God doesn't even consider his servants, and he looks at the angels with error, and then he looks at man, you're just the basic scum of the earth, you're nothing. Like, think about this whole, I'm going to strip you down to nothing. Now, man without God is, in a sense, in their fallen state, is nothing. But yet there's, he was valuable enough that God would really willing to ransom himself to redeem them. So the enemy's the one always trying to make you lower. You are incomplete without him. You can never know him without Jesus. But once you do and you take that, he brings you into that place to know him. But I'm going I'm to close with this. The most famous misquoted writing of Paul. And I want you to hear it mm-hmm. as a father speaking to their son or daughter getting ready to launch into this world and facing things that they didn't know they would have to face, almost like Rocky speaking to his son. If you know what you're worth and go out and get what you're worth, but you got to be willing to take the hits and not point a finger and blame this person and that person. Cowards do that, and that's not you. So I want you to hear this as, as, as Paul speaking to us, as a, as a father figure. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man with the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, though, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us of God. These things we also speak not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who knows the mind of of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is powerful because if you've received Jesus, your spirit and your natural. In other words, you've been given the capacity to see in the other realms that Job could not see. He couldn't see what was going behind the scenes to be after him, but we can know what's going on behind the scenes. We've been given something different. And I say all this, that in this journey, our main focal point should be of knowing him. Because every hero in the Bible and every hero throughout life, it had an experience, an epiphany, a a moment where they experienced what they were pursuing. In the Old Testament, these characters, they met God and it changed their life. And every place they had an encounter with God, that's where we get all the names of God of the Old Testament. These men would have an encounter with God himself. And it changed them. It opened them. God is not hiding himself from us. Our foolishness of the wisdom of the world is what's hiding us from him. But he's not hiding. And so when we get that, when we can understand that in the hero's journey, embrace the one idea, I want to know him. And you will find yourself coming out, not transformed that you were not, you were one thing, you were, you're one person and now you're a different person. You're the same person, but who you are metamorphoses, creates, has a metamorphosis effect 
into what you really are, that your identity and everything is transformed into that. And no, the enemy does not want you to have that because the moment you have that, you become a threat to his kingdom. And the moment you're a threat, things get unleashed against you. But when you know what you are, you can now take that in stride and move forward and keep being everything that you are. And the end of Job was so much better than the beginning. That's the reward, but it's not even the ambition. It's just the byproduct. That's why it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is what Paul's talking about. All these other things are added unto you. You don't have to be like them and search after that. Go after this and don't worry, I got your back over here. And that's the hero's journey. There it is. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, guys. I hope that listening to this stuff has helped lift you up in your identity, your strength, your courage, and your influence. That's the whole point of this. So there's no condemnation in this. There's no conviction that you're wrong in this. And so if any of that is coming across, then just know that's the enemy trying to mess with you and keep you out of the journey. So we're going to wrap it up for now. We'll be back again next week with another episode. We appreciate you guys listening in and tuning in. Until next time, be strong and stay in the fight.